Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week we're on with Kenson Lamb, pastor of our Bridgeport Church, as well as our South region as a whole, and talking about what got cut from his sermon on Acts chapter 6, verse 8, all the way to chapter 8, verse 3. And we get to discuss a listener question as well about marriage. So let's get started. I'm Trevor Lovell, and this is the Pastor's Cut with Kenson Lamb. Kenson, good to have you on the show. Glad to be with you today. Yeah, yeah, we're doing an afternoon recording, which means the mind is uh, a little less clear, but uh, you never know what we might say. So that's that's the added benefit. <laughs> yeah, Trevor, as I was telling you, I literally, right before jumping on this call, ran out of coffee. So this thing is empty right now. So you're yeah. getting me at my most vulnerable. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's the goal here. <laughs> so Kenson, one thing I want to ask you, um, just because you've been in Chicago, uh, you born and raised here and uh, have lived here your, basically your entire life. And, and mm-hmm. so uh, I just want to ask, what's the benefit that you've seen in staying in one place over the course of time, both in life as well as in ministry? Yeah, well, well, well said. I think a couple of things uh, with that. Um, born and raised, for folks who don't know me, born and raised here in Chicago, parents uh, immigrated from China, specifically Hong Kong. Uh, but I was born and raised here, Chicago public school system, uh, right in Bridgeport, high school went to Lane Tech, college went to UIC. Uh, so when you talk about being rooted in Chicago, like literally, like I was rooted in Chicago and particularly in like two neighborhoods, uh, Bridgeport, Chinatown-ish, and then also McKinley Park, which is where I'm living at right now. Uh, a couple of things about why I just love the idea of just being in one place for a very long time is that first off, it's you're able to be able to, you're able to have kind of that opportunity to be able to kind of influence, you know, like, you know, when we talk about like having the long conversations with others, one of the cool things about having a chance to pastor and plant in Bridgeport, which is where I grew up, is that I actually see a lot of the folks that uh, I grew up with in a neighborhood and they saw me and they knew me before I was, a, I was an unbeliever. So they've been able to see the transformation in my life. And there's still folks who see me in the neighborhood. And I tell them, oh, you should come to my church is right down the street. And they're like, you're a pastor. It's like, yeah, they're like, no way. But yeah. that's the cool thing about it is, is that, is that the friendships that I've made, the connections that I've made, the networks that I have, uh, this is all for the glory uh, of God. So that's one of the things that you have when you're able to spend uh, an extended amount of time in one place is that you you get to build off those relationships and now um, have a chance to redeem that in, in Christ. So as a Christ follower, that, that's why when I was offered the opportunity to plant in my backyard, um, I almost, <laughs> I, I, I should have prayed more about it, but I was like, yes, absolutely. That's, in, that's incredible. And it's also, it also allows you to, to be more deeply ingrained in terms of just um, the work that God's doing, you know, within the neighborhood. So for example, even, even here, like in McKinley Park, I've, I've lived here now for about 25 years of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and we have to remember that, that, um, that the majority of the city uh, aren't folks that are transient, but these are folks that are generational, like they've lived here for a long time. So, so actually, quite frankly, like stories like mine aren't, aren't unique. It's actually quite the norm for many mm-hmm. folks who call Chicago home. And it's really important that when we're asking our folks to be salt and light and to be missional and to love their neighbors, sometimes one of the most powerful ways you can do that is, is over time and, and by showing your investment, you back yourself into a mortgage, right? Like this just, those are all just really important things. So that's incredible. And then also not having young kids and being able to walk alongside of them and be able to show like, hey, this is, be able to share my story in very tangible ways. Like, 
like my son now who's 11 years old and where I'm now unpacking more and more of my testimony to him saying, this is where I went to school when I was your age. This is what I experienced here. You know, this is where I ate with, with dad, you know, with my dad, you know. Um, and there's just something really powerful in terms of this kind of family history and discipleship around that. So, um, yeah, so yeah, I know this is, I know this, not everyone is able to have the blessing of being able to stay rooted within the same city and neighborhood, but um, that's just an incredible blessing that, that I've been able to have, you know, for the yeah. 40 plus years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That is, that is really cool to, to be able to have that perspective. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of times it, it feels like nowadays it's common to want to move and to live yeah. in a lot of different places because I think it's attached to that idea of like, there's a fear of missing out that the whole, the whole FOMO thing. Exactly. Um, but actually, either way, you're missing out um, because it, it's a unique experience to be able to stay. Like as you're saying, it's it's a majority of the city, but but there is like a trend with moving around. And uh, right. yeah, that experience of staying rooted in one place. There's something valuable about that. Yeah, no, exactly. And and then also as well too, like it's been great because all my and this might be more true. Of maybe the immigrant story, but um, once they've made the biggest move of their life across the ocean, um, they're not in a mood to keep jumping around and moving. So. For example, my family moved moved over there over here to Chicago. Um, they've stayed here, you know. And what's been really cool is that now that my kids are are growing up, you know, they're they're not seeing grandma and grandpa on a computer screen, but they're actually like they see them almost every day. So my my grandparents, my parents, and actually my grandparents, their great grandparents, um, have all played a role in terms of just helping to parent a bit and spoil them, of course, you know. And, and there's something yeah. really beautiful in that. And quite honestly, many folks who are kind of in my season of life with younger kids, kids starting to go to school, um, those, those that have moved around, like many of them are actually now feeling the pressure to, to move back home because they see the importance of having that connection of family, right? So, um, yeah. so you, yeah, Trevor, I think you say it well, kind of that idea of like missing out and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like, um, I've never, just never felt that because I just felt like there's just so much here already, you know, for, for our family. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And so Kenson, you preached, um, you preached at Bridgeport and South Loop this yeah. past weekend, massive passage, Acts chapter six, verse eight, uh, all the way to eight, uh, yeah, verse three, 60, 70 verses. No big yeah. deal. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I gotta say, I, I love listening to your sermon. I felt like you were dropping like exegetical bomb after exegetical bomb the entire <laughs> way through. You kept explaining different pieces and phrases. And I was like, I had no idea that was what that meant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I really, I really enjoyed it and appreciated your work in, that you put into it. Thank uh, you, man. Yeah. But could you give us um, just, just a quick recap of it here? Yeah. So uh, basically the, the angle that I went with uh, this story was, it was basically a, a Stephen's story, Stephen's life. You know, obviously the previous week, you know, we saw how Stephen was selected to serve the widows as a deacon, but this is where we actually see him give his, to our knowledge, the first and last sermon and also uh, to be the first martyr of the Christian faith in Acts. Um, so the big idea for uh, this message was just around the Christ-likeness of Stephen. And kind of the way I illustrated was how, like, for example, imagine yourself as, as, a, as a cup filled to the brim and you get shaken, right? The cup gets shaken. Whatever liquids in the cup gets spilled out. And that's kind of what we see happen with Stephen is that during this moment, like he's doing miracles, he's giving glory to Jesus and to no surprise, he's facing opposition. He's being shaken. He's being threatened. He's being falsely accused. And what's really cool is that as you see Stephen get shaken in life, what he keeps spilling out is Christ-likeness. 
you know, that, that the way he talks, the way he responds, the way he defends himself just points you back to Christ. And Stephen, when you think about his life, that's all what his life was all about. It was all about pointing back to Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the, the angle that I took uh, with Stephen and, and his story um, and not so much his martyrdom as some other people usually do, which is fine too. So for example, just for me, like the two really big points that I highlighted is first off is that when you see Stephen shake, shaken with life, his response was with, with God's word. Like this, this was a man who knew God's word that he recited all throughout the Old Testament, you know, he went through the patriarchs, he went through the Exodus, he went through the monarchy, he went through prophets, he just knew God's word. And this that's so reminiscent of what happened to Jesus when he was pressed on matters. When Satan tested him, he went back to Deuteronomy. When Jesus was questioned about divorce, he went to Genesis, you know, when uh, Jesus was asked about, you know, you know, what's the what's the greatest commandment? He went back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Like Jesus did the same thing. Like he went back to Scripture, you know, for his defense. He went back to Scripture as his foundation. So that was one one of the points that I highlighted. And then the second point that I highlighted in terms of Stephen's Christ likeness was just his forgiveness. His words. There's no way when you read Stephen's final words that it does not bring you back to Christ because. Stephen says, you know, I commit my spirit to you. Jesus said something very similar. And Stephen also said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Well, who else made a prayer like that? Jesus Christ, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Clearly, Stephen knew the story of Jesus. Clearly, he knew his final words. And all Stephen could do in his final moments, and it tells you a lot about a person, is that he talks about Jesus. Right, he just he 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 models Jesus, and that to me is just a powerful thing. Actually, it's actually that moment that actually gave me the big idea for the rest of the message because I couldn't shake that final prayer that he makes. I just couldn't shake it, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. And you had something in connection with that final prayer that that I thought I thought was great. Um, it was I hadn't heard this before, but so you talked about. Um, about how Stephen's speech gets more attention than any other speech or sermon in all the book of Acts. Right. And then you kind of dug into that. Could you, could you share some of that here? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so a couple of insights around Stephen's sermon here is that it is the longest recorded message and sermon in the entire book of Acts. You would think that it'll probably be like Peter or Paul and granted they, they do have long messages, but you have to ask yourself, why is this thing so long? Why is it so detailed? And where in the world did it come from? And that actually makes you think like, well, did Stephen get this from the Sanhedrin? Uh, I don't think so. Did he get it from the mob? Uh, I don't think so. The most likely reason that we actually have this sermon in the detail that it's in is because Luke traveled with an apostle. It was the apostle Paul. And we know from, from the story of Stephen that Saul was there. You know, he was standing yeah. there. He was approving of this death. And I believe that Saul was probably uh, the primary antagonist during this, enti- during this entire story. Mm-hmm. Now, at that moment, if you just stop at Acts chapter 8, you would think that, well, Paul continued to ravage, Saul continued to ravage the church. He continued to, you know, imprison Christians. Like, like the, the message went in, in one ear and went out the other ear. No. Mm-hmm. What the message tells you is that Saul did hear the message. Now at the moment, it was still seeds, but he did hear it. And it was at his conversion, I believe, that everything began to to click. 
that yeah. that all of a sudden he's like this all makes sense and and many scholars and theologians would say that when you look at Paul's writings and the themes of his writings they are they are almost up like line for line for in Stephen's sermon then the way that Stephen communicated, the way he talked about Christ and how Christ is the, like, that's all of Paul's themes and the way that he teaches. So that's just incredible because one of the ways that I ended my message was just like, when you consider Stephen, like, was his life a tragedy or, or, or what, or was it meaningful? You know, like, 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 you know, what was, was it, what was it? Yeah. Some people might think it's tragic because like, well, it was a short ministry, you know, you know, could, could you just imagine like Stephen in your church for 50, 60 years and all the good he could done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, wow, that would be awesome. What a tragedy to lose him so early. Yeah. But when you consider his impact in the life of Saul, who became the apostle Paul, it's incredible, you know, yeah. and also just to think about, you know, when Stephen makes his final prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's praying for their forgiveness. Well, guess what happened to Saul? He's an answered prayer. God did not hold his sin against him because Jesus took that sin to the cross. So what became of Saul? He became, he became, he was once the greatest persecutor of the Christian church to being one of the chief architects of Christianity. And very, in so many ways, you can make the argument that, that Stephen changed the world because his life, his witness passed on to Paul. And that to me is just incredible. And that's just a reminder again, that for all of us, you know, that the importance of being faithful to in our Christ-like witness, in our Christ-like message, you just never know what God's going to do with that. You just, you just never know the, the type of multiplying effect that it can have in, in others. So, yeah, yeah. so that, yeah, that, yeah, Trevor, thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. Kind of the yeah. way that you were stunned. I was stunned in the same way when I saw that, you know, insight from, you know, from another great scholar, Tim Keller on that. Yeah. Yeah. But the prayer piece was you. That was, that was your insight. The prayer piece was me. It it was me. It was, well, (laughs) you you can give it to the, you can give it to the spirit for that one. Yeah. 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 We'll give credit to Tim where, where he deserves it. (laughs) Yeah. Good stuff, man. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. So uh, there was plenty of great stuff in the sermon, but what about what got cut? What what do you have for us on on that? Yeah. So, so I I did tell you guys that it was a, uh, it was a two point sermon, right? So I gave two insights, you know, Christ-like wisdom of scripture came out of Stephen when he was shaken and also Christ-like forgiveness when he was shaken. Well, normally when I give sermons, there are three points sermons. So I purposely <laughs> took out a whole second point because I just could not fit the bad boy in. Yeah. Uh, and actually the, the, the second point that I cut out was how when Stephen was shaken, he did not, he did not spill fear, but he actually spilled Christ-like courage and boldness. So, and that's what we see here. So what he does is that after he kind of goes through the history of Israel, then it gets really spicy. And he says, you stiff necked people, your daddy and your daddy's daddies and your daddy's daddy's daddies kept rejecting the prophets. You killed the righteous one. And I'm like, Oh snap. Like he just went there. <laughs> and, and some people could say like, wow, like, you know, like if maybe if Stephen was more winsome or maybe if he just packaged it a little bit differently, people mm-hmm. might have received the message, you know, they, they might have accepted it more, mm-hmm. but you have to understand here that, that Stephen right now, he's not speaking to sheep. He's talking to wolves that these are yeah. people who are trying to destroy the church. Mm-hmm. So Stephen is going to confront, he's going to lay it all out. And, and basically the, the, the point that I, I cut out was just when you look at Stephen and he was full of the spirit, we have to remember from Acts 1.8, right? Like, why is the spirit given to us? It's given to us to empower us to be witnesses, right? And when you hear yeah. the word power, 
I hear the word courage. I hear the word boldness. I hear the word of pressing through resistance and opposition. And that's exactly what's happening here is that, mm. is that, is that Stephen is doing just, is just that he's, he's pushing through all of that. Um, so yeah. And, and that to me is just absolutely incredible. And I, I wish I had a chance to talk more about it, but I've already preached about it in previous sermons and I know mm. I'll talk about it again, but I think one of the biggest factors that we're missing from the Christian church today is, is the idea of courage mm. is that I think that there's so much kind of just like, Oh man, this, this sounds a little frank, but just a, a bit of pampering. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, like, oh, we're afraid that the message might be too harsh. It might offend. But the one thing that we're going to see over and over again, you know, with Peter and with Paul is that, and even with Jesus is that the gospel is offensive. And sometimes that's exactly what needs to happen. It, it needs to shake us to the, to the very core. And that's what Stephen does. He gives a message that he knows very likely is going to get him killed. But he says it anyway, because it is the truth. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them sinners and he does it. So uh, I believe that that's very Christ-like because that's exactly what happened with Jesus. Like, you know, he, he, he didn't, he didn't try to be winsome. He didn't try to you know, sugarcoat it. He just, he just said what it was and he didn't do it out of hate, but he did it out of love. He did it. He did it for like, right. With Stephen, he didn't mm-hmm. just say like they're stiff neck, but later on when he prays for the forgiveness, Lord, you know, do not hold, hold yeah. the sin against them. So we see, both balances of grace and truth in the same moment. Yeah. So that, that, that's a, that's a piece I, I cut out um, in it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's like, uh, like with most like in communication that um, I don't know. I think my, like my tendency is to go more of like the, to try and go the winsome route, right. Exactly. And to not exactly be as pointed uh, to the extent that there have even been times where I've had like a more, like a more apologetic moment in a sermon where you're kind of like calling someone out. And I've had it in my notes is like you language and I get to it and I switch it to we in the moment <laughs> because, because it's softer in that way. And uh, I think, I think there's, there's something to be said though, that there's a time when, when like speaking in this way is more effective and it's like having different tools in the toolbox and not being afraid to use this one. Uh, That's right. When, when the moment's right. That's right. Yeah. Tr- Trevor, you, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much wired the, the same way I, I preach with we, I'm, I'm very confessional in my, in my preaching, uh, having a prophet's voice is not my thing. You know, I like having friends, prophets didn't have a whole lot of friends in their lives. So that's right. They don't, <laughs> they, they don't have a lot of friends. They're, they're pretty lonely. Uh, they're pretty yeah. difficult to be around too often, but, um, but you're, but you're absolutely right. Um, it's sometimes like you just, you just gotta be faithful to, to the spirit's calling. Right. So, and, and if it's the moments to be prophetic, it's to call out sin with, We've got to do that as well too. So yeah, I know I have yeah, to work right. on that. So Trevor, well said, well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, what else do you have for us? Anything else that got cut? You know, I, I, I cut that out, you know, and I also cut out as well too. And what, what I, what I thought was really interesting is that Stephen uh, was basically a promise that was fulfilled that Jesus gave. And what I mean by that is that Luke chapter 21, Jesus actually makes a promise to his disciples that he says that, that they, right, that they will lay their hands on you. So Luke chapter 21, verses 12 to 15, yeah. they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom 
which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Mm-hmm. I, I cut that out. But when I was doing my research for this message, I was like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. that is a promise of Jesus being fulfilled. That the disciples will be brought up before the synagogues. They will be brought up before the religious leaders and they will have to deal with this opposition because of the name of Jesus. And Jesus says here that this will be your opportunity to bear witness. And that's exactly what Stephen does. He gets, he gets basically brought up in front of the, the, the religious council, the Sanhedrin, and they say, are these things true? And Stephen could have just said, no. These things are not true, but he actually, what he does, and I believe the reason he goes on this 50 verse kind of like sermon is that he's like, I have, I have an audience. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to unpack scripture for them. You know, he could have done it in a much more concise way, but he took the opportunity to bear witness. And Jesus also says in that promise in Luke 21, you don't need to meditate or prepare. I will give you the words to speak and they will not be able to withstand it. That's exactly what happens to Stephen. He go he with no preparation, he gives a 50 verse sermon from the Bible. And it says before he even does that that the people just couldn't withstand his brilliance. They 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 just they just couldn't handle it. It, it, it was too smart, it was too wise. Again, that's just a testament to the promise of Jesus. And to me, like, once again, I wish I had a chance, a chance to, to, to just challenge my folks about this. But here we go again, like, just be a faithful witness, be a faithful mouthpiece. Don't worry about what you're going to say, what you know or don't know. But man, like, God's going to give you the words to speak. And actually, in my message, I, I shared this and I shared about how, like, like so often, like we see these moments happen when you're actually talking to someone about your faith who doesn't know Jesus, that all of a sudden that as you're answering questions and as you're talking to them, God is bringing to mind all these gospel truths to share with this person. And I don't believe it's because like we're smart, but it's because the spirit is giving us the words to speak. And I also know as well too, that there's many folks who have come to Christ and the other person has just done a really, really bad job sharing the gospel. But you know what? Is exactly what the spirit needed them to say, you know, for them to hear it, right? So, so again, it's just once again that this is this gospel movement. It is not a man, a man-led movement. You know, it's not human-powered. It is Holy Spirit-powered. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is just be faithful. That's all we have yeah. to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right, coming coming close to the end here. We got a listener question. I want to transition. Yeah, into. sounds good. So we got a good one here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you say to this. But basically, how do I know if someone is the right or the wrong person to marry? Uh-huh. How do I know if someone is the right or the wrong person to marry? Right, right. Well, th- this question is a little bit tricky uh, because it's, it depends on kind of where you're at in terms of the season of marriage. So uh, if you're already married... <laughs> uh, it's kind of like, well, you know, is this person the wrong person? Does it mean I leave? So like, it's, it's just there. So there, we need to kind of put a context to this question mm-hmm. here. So I'm going to put this context in the question uh, of you're still in the dating phase. So you're not quite married yet because if you are married to someone and quote unquote, if they might be wrong because mm-hmm. of what scripture teaches, we actually have to go about it in a much different way. Yeah. But if you're in a dating context and you're still in a position where you're discerning and trying to figure out like, 
is this a person that I should continue to spend time with, invest more time, this and that? Um, I, there are a couple of things I would say. So first off, I would definitely say that when it comes to that context, there's definitely a right or wrong person to consider for marriage. First off, I think the most the most basic of foundational questions and items is if this person shares the same faith in Christ. That is that is number one. You know, Jesus talks about this idea of yeah. who you yoke yourself with, and this is idea of, of who you link yourself with. You know, and right away, and even from a very practical standpoint, if you're going to be with someone who does not share your core devotion of loving and following Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. quite honestly, I'm just not quite sure if this marriage is going to ever have a chance to really flourish and thrive, you can say stuff like, well, we connect in all these other different ways. But my answer to that, my response to that is, well, maybe at a shallow level, Mm -hmm. but at a deep level, I don't know how that's going to work. The things that you're going to celebrate, the things that you're going to give your lives to the way that you're going to live on mission, the way that you're going to handle your money, the way that you're going to parent your children, the way that you're going to tell them in terms of how to handle, you know, the bullies in their lives, right? You know, like your, our faith informs us of so much of, of how we do life. You know what I mean? So I would say that first and foremost, like that is the number one question is, is, is there a common faith and love for Jesus Christ. And I'm not even just saying if the other person says, oh yeah, quote unquote, I, tr- I, I check off the box of Christian, but more so like, is there a genuineness and authenticity of following and loving Jesus? Because there's many people who might say that I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian household, but has no, re- no life transformation. There's no change at all. That to me is still the wrong person to marry and, and, to, and to give your time and emotions to. So I would say that that's definitely number one. Um, and I would also say as well, too, in regards to right or wrong, I think that another aspect to really consider besides the faith component um, is also in terms of just where you believe God is, is leading your life. So, for example, probably the most like uh, um, explicit way to kind of paint this out is, for example, like if you feel like God's laid on your heart to go overseas and do missions, but the person that you are interested in has no interest whatsoever to be a part of that. Now, both of you are Christ followers and both of you love Jesus. So this now kind of takes you to a second level of questioning is what has God laid on my heart to give myself to? Remember once again, that when when it talks about, when you talk about marrying someone and uniting and becoming one, remember that your first and foremost loyalty and devotion is to Jesus Christ and what he's laid on your life here, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to ask yourself, like if this is something that God's laid on my heart, and this person is not lining up with that mission and vision that God has put in my life. I think that's another area where, you know, like either to pump the brakes or just to say that this isn't the right person. Now, granted in this case here, like, is, is it, is it as, as it is, is it as clear of a, in my mind, a sin issue? Not really. It's, it's, it's a more of a discerning issue, but if it does make you disobey a clear calling that Christ has laid on your life, then yeah, then maybe for conscience sakes, it is it is a sin issue uh, in your life. So I would say that in that regard, um, that's some two very big buckets in terms of kind of knowing the right and wrong person. I know we have to wrap up, but if I can also say this, yeah, mm-hmm. um, there's also a lot of kind of secondary issues that 
as Christ followers, we really need to have an open hand here that we have to be careful in terms of how much we like culture kind of determine who we kind of spend time with. And what I mean by that is, for example, the things around physical attractiveness, you know, like, 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 like those, like those type of things, you know, like those, those secondary things, like just to always be careful, like, like we have to prioritize the, the type of questions that we're asking when it comes to someone that we're trying to marry, you know, that, that these are all like, they're not, not unimportant questions, but we have to remember that first and foremost, you know, do they love Jesus and are, and are they on the same mission, missional path that, that, that you're on. And if those two things are in play here, you know, I, 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 I have a, I have a church with a lot of single folks and they, and they ask me, well, I don't, I don't really feel physically attracted to them, but they love Jesus. And, you know, and like, man, they, you know, they're, they're all, for, they're all for God. I'm like, well, like, Hey, like, like, dude, just go out for a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like, let's just see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't like, don't, this don't end it so quick. Like, Oh, you know, like, you know, like, well, you know, they're doing this kind of work. And it sounds like, well, did he love Jesus? Get, get, get to know them a bit and, and see what God does with that. So yeah, that, yeah, that's what, that's what I would say. Yeah, that's good. That's like a pushback on the, like the nineties rom-coms. Was there, was there a spark? Was there magic? <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that, that that's, that, that's exactly it. I, I think sometimes like we put way too much sometimes yeah. in, in, in a, in a Christian dating process where like mm-hmm. everything has to be lined up, you know, it's like, no, like just get to know the person, you know, like, you know, yeah. have a conversation. It's, it's, it's okay. You know, we can do it in a godly way. We can do it in an honoring and respecting way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's doable. We, we shouldn't be scared of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Kenson, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time and for your work um, on this sermon and, and honestly just on every sermon. So thanks so much for, for your time. No, Trevor, thanks for having me on and just always love being able to spend time and just love our church and having a space and opportunity just to kind of, banter a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Banter is always good. So one last question as a, as a true Chicagoan, um, you guys, you had a bulls illustration uh, about, about his airness. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the last dance just came out, you know, in the past year, I, yeah. I got to know, do you think they could have won seven? Yes. A hundred, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. They could have won. They, they could have, it's a travesty. It is an absolute <laughs> travesty that they did not try Jordan, yeah. uh, okay, I know we got it in, but but <laughs> Jordan said like at least give us a chance, you know, yeah. to try to win it, and I was just like, and I know we would have won it. I the the, the mm-hmm. core was too strong, and even even afterwards, the way Pippen was playing, the way Jordan, you know, and if Jordan got to play again, like they yeah. they, they still had game, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'll stop there. I'm sorry. The, the passion with which you answered that question shows you're a true Chicagoan. So <laughs> thank you for your heart. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And again, if you've got any questions you'd like us to discuss, you can go ahead and send those into us at podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org or just drop a comment wherever you happen to be listening. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.